How you doing, Rock family? Pastor Miles here. Hopefully you're enjoying the third option sermon series. I know it's challenging a lot of people. Hopefully you're reading the book. If you don't have the book, go to the bookstore, or go online at Amazon and get the book. But today we are gonna watch a video on how to have a small group discussion. Probably the most important thing you could do now, especially coming off the excitement of the simulcast. People around the country are talking about what to do next. So we've made a video that we're gonna show you right now to teach you and guide you on how to have a fun discussion about race with people who don't look like you. And then we're gonna have the campus pastors demonstrate how to answer some of the questions. But again, this is to help you understand how you can have a discussion with your R group, with your family, your friends. So we're gonna provide you a link where you can watch the video, get the instructions on how to have the discussion. And I know if you do this, God's gonna change your life He's gonna open your eyes up to things you've never known. You're gonna learn about yourself, and more importantly, you're gonna learn about other people. And your relationships and your perspectives of other people is gonna be transformed. So get the link, watch the video, do the discussion, and I know today is gonna to really inform you and encourage you. God bless you. In 1982, a few days after I was drafted to the Los Angeles Rams, I boarded a flight from New Haven, Connecticut to go to California. And on my way, I had to change planes in Las Vegas. And when I got to Las Vegas airport, I noticed this big boy sitting there waiting to get on the same plane I was getting on. And I wasn't sure if he was a black dude mixed or what. As I got closer, I realized he was extremely big. But he wasn't necessarily black, wasn't Puerto Rican, and I wasn't sure what he was. So I went over to him and said, yo man, what's your name? He said, yo man, my name is Junior. We got on the plane, we're walking through the aisle of the plane, and he had to turn sideways to get through the plane. And this little lady who reminded me of Betty White turned around and saw him, and she was like, oh my, <laughs> this dude was giant. So as soon as we got off the plane, I went up to him and said, Junior, I gotta know, what ethnicity are you? And he said, yo man, I'm Samoan. I had never met a Samoan, never seen a Samoan. And the whole time I was looking at him, I was trying to figure out what ethnicity he is. Every time you have a conversation with someone, you are having a race conversation. You are processing in your mind what you think they are, how you think they may treat you, how you think you're supposed to respond to them. These thoughts and conversations in our head reveal the nature of the information we receive throughout our lives. The information we received about other people and the information we received about ourselves. But having a conversation about race can be scary. Some view it as a race confrontation. I want to propose to you that you view it instead of a race confrontation, you view it as a race consultation. Because these conversations can be uncomfortable, we developed this instructional video in order to provide guidelines for a safe and productive environment for your group discussion today. This video is strictly for training purposes and should not be taken out of context. However, the concepts can be applied to every conversation you have. Additionally, the views expressed by the characters in this presentation do not necessarily represent the values of me, our organization, our sponsors, or customers. So we had a diverse group of four people get together. Their names were Taniqua, Stacy, Melly, and Choco. And this is what happened as they reviewed the guidelines. They all sat down in a group together, and Stacy, an African-American woman, said, Hey, everybody, I'm Stacy. How y'all doing? Then Taniqua, an older white lady, jumped in. Hello, my name is Taniqua, and I'm so looking forward to our time together to learn how to be more diversified. I mean, diversified. 
Stacy was like, Taniqua? Go ahead, girl. Then with a big smile, Taniqua flashed a Wakanda sign. Keep in mind, for some, this will be the first time they've spoken about race with people who are different than them. Be mindful of that and extend a little extra grace with awkward comments or questions. It's okay. Melly, a Mexican 20-something, went next and he said, they call me Melly because I'm mellow. Then Choco, a 30-something Filipino-Hawaiian Frenchman said, what's up, my name is Choco, but my friends call me Cho. It's kind of like saying yo with a ch. Sounds cool when you say it slow like chill. Stacy was like, what? Melly jerked his head around and said under his breath, interesting, I got a cousin named Choco. Instead of saying you don't see color, just acknowledge that you do because it's staring you in the face. Learn to appreciate it. Seeing color isn't the problem. The negative assumptions we associate with certain colors you see is the problem. We must learn to acknowledge and confront the negative and critical thoughts we have towards those who have those colors. This is why it's critical to allow people to self-disclose. More on that later. Back to the story. So everyone was nervously looking at each other suspiciously and awkwardly. Taniqua kept peeking at Stacy, thinking, I wonder what she's been through. Then Choco finally said, so I don't mind leading us unless someone else wants to. And out of nowhere, Stacy tapped Choco on the shoulder, smiled, and said, let's do this. As she pounded her fist in her hand, saying, rock, paper, scissors, baby. Since every group needs to self-police, decide who will keep the group on track. So Stacy says, all right, y'all, why don't we all take turns reading through the guidelines? Stacy then says, guideline number one says, get into groups of three to four people with at least two ethnicities. Okay, we have four people and we are diverse. Booyah! Taniko says, does anyone want to pray? And for some reason, she looks at Melly, who's just kind of leaning back, all mellow-like. For the second step, if agreeable, say a prayer to ask for unity and transparency in the group. But make sure everyone's comfortable with praying. Mellow, awkwardly and uncomfortably, looking out of the corner of his eye, said, Nah, I'm good. Choco said, I'll pray. Can we all bow our heads and close our eyes? And for about 15 seconds, nothing but silence. Stacy then says, who has rule number three? Melly says, I got it. It says to affirm our group's intention at the start of the discussion, and this is the start of the discussion. This is the most important guideline because it's critical to enter every discussion to listen with the intent to learn. This is not a race confrontation, but a race consultation. All too often, we are quick to impose our assumption on others before they have a chance to self-disclose their truth to us. Melly says, basically this means no imposing our assumptions on each other. While Melo was looking at Choco, he thought, he sure speaks really good English. I wonder if he's good at math. Maybe he could tutor my cousin Choco. Glancing at everyone, Tanika was nervously thinking, being that I'm the only white person in the group, they're probably gonna blame me for everything. Stacy was staring at Taniqua thinking, I'm still tripping on her name. Somebody in her family got to be down with black people. Melo then asked, okay, does everyone affirm this guideline that we are here to learn and not impose our assumptions on each other? 
and everyone at one time enthusiastically says, of course, yes, definitely, here to learn, no prejudging, absolutely. It's obvious that everyone in the group had an opinion of someone else in the group, an opinion based completely on assumptions. Sometimes the thoughts that we have about others are so automatic that we don't have a chance to stop them, but we do have the opportunity and responsibility to challenge them. Stacy then said, okay, guideline number four is, if you feel uncomfortable during this conversation for any reason, raise your hand and say family. Then everyone needs to stop talking, look at each other for a moment and say, I love you, you're my brother or sister. Taniko said, oh, that is awesome, we are family. Choco's thinking, she doesn't look like my family. Once someone raises their hand and says family, everyone should stop talking and say to each other, I love you. You're my brother, my sister. Then resume the conversation. Stacy asked, okay, who's next? Choco said, that's me. Guideline number five, seek to understand rather than talk back, argue, or invalidate a point. It's important to not question or challenge someone's experience. Challenging a person's story invalidates a person's story. Assume a posture of simply listening and not challenging. Even if you think someone is exaggerating, the first thing you need to do is ask yourself why. Maybe it's your filter that's turning it into an exaggeration. Trust their story. Taniko said, guideline number six is, be honest about your experiences. Stacy mumbled, girl, you don't want me to be honest. I can tell you some stuff. Taniko whispered under her breath, man, being honest is gonna be tough. I recognize that it can be scary and painful to talk about your stories, but the only way we're ever gonna learn from each other is to speak from our hearts with vulnerability and honesty. If you don't wanna talk, just sit and listen. Everyone does not have to talk and you don't have to share everything. Just be honest and on the flip side, be a gracious listener and don't take anything personal. Melo then says, now some of us have deep hurts that are hard to let go of. I know this is a very emotional topic. Like for instance, when I was seven, I was walking to lunch line, I grabbed the tray, and I don't know why these bullies hit me, but pushing me around because I didn't like the color of my head. Melly just kept going on and on and on. People started nodding off, looking at their text messages, answering emails. Finally, Choco raises his hand and says, homie, family. Taniko said, baby, what are you doing? Stacy was like, brother, please. Melo stops talking and everyone's looking at him with frustration and Choco said, we love you, but hello. Melo said, what's up? Choco said, bruh, what is guideline number seven? The one you're supposed to be telling us about. And Melo says, oh yeah, my bad. Answer all your questions in one minute or less. Stacy then reads the next one to keep the flow going. Guideline number eight says, speak in the first person using I, not we. Let's focus on our personal experiences, perspectives, and feelings. Remember, speaking in the first person keeps your story personal. There is a time and place to talk about the bigger picture, but this is not it. Everyone like us does not necessarily have the same experience as us, and we're not experts in everyone else's pain, just our own. The first and most important priority we all have today is to address our personal biases and our personal hurts. Choco said, I don't know the experiences of every Asian, but I do know mine. Stacy was like, 
I'm not here to speak for all black people, just my experience. Taniqua said, I don't know what all white people think, but I do know what I feel and have been through. Melly then said, the experiences of all Latinos is so varied, but today I will speak for me. Stacy then read, guideline number nine suggests that we consider sharing contact information with each other so we can continue to develop our relationships after today. Then she said, I definitely need to get together with Taniqua. I got to know where she got her name. Now that all the guidelines are read, Stacy said, all y'all ready? Choco was like, let's do this. Melly shouted, yeah, buddy. Taniqua said, I am so excited. Although we had fun reviewing these guidelines, we all know that this is a serious topic and a lot of us carry a lot of fear, frustration, and hurt. I hope these guidelines empower and equip you to have a productive conversation and encourage you to allow everyone you meet to self-disclose, turning every race conversation into a race consultation. But before you start, here's one last word from the participants in this video. Hi everyone, I'm Margaret and I'm an interior designer. Recently, I was called a nice negress by my client in her home. My hope is that you honor others by, instead of ignoring their color, that you celebrate it. Give people the benefit of the fact that each color has stereotypes and burdens placed on them by others. So be that person that lightens that burden by loving them the way they are. When I was seven, I was at a department store with my aunt. My aunt was speaking to me in Spanish when two women walked by and said loudly, these Mexicans come to our country illegally and don't even bother to speak our language. To which I responded, I speak perfect English. They both looked appalled and walked away angrily. My hope is that you honor others by being quick to listen, slow to speak, and allow what others self-disclose about themselves to challenge your thoughts and assumptions you have about them. The safest assumption you should make is that there's more that you don't know about them than you do know. Be a learner, not a judge. Hey everyone, my name is Ty, and I've almost grown used to being the butt end of jokes that refer to Asians in nail salons and sweatshops. My hope is that you honor others by not blaming the person in front of you for what the person behind you has done. Go into every discussion thinking the best, not the worst. Prepare to speak life and not death over someone. My name is Tammy. As a white person, I'm often stereotyped or blamed for things that I didn't do, and frankly, that I'm opposed to. I feel like I sometimes have to walk on eggshells when talking about race. My hope is that we honor others by eliminating the term those people from our vocabulary and place the label neighbor, brother, or sister on them. Anything less dehumanizes them. Instead of ignoring how they were made, celebrate their uniqueness and the added richness their experience and culture could bring to your life. Hey, you guys, let's give it up for our production team that put that together. Wow. That is awesome, that is awesome. Hey, welcome everybody, my name is Marcus. I'm the campus pastor at the Rock Church, Point Loma. We welcome everybody today and I'm joined here by some campus pastors and for those of you guys on our online campus, hello, welcome, our multi-sites up in San Marcos, San Isidro as well, East County and City Heights. We welcome you today and we have our campus pastors from San Isidro and City Heights over there, campus pastor, campus, uh, Pastor Micah. God bless you guys, thank you for joining us. And what we're doing today, you guys, we're, we're basically going to take a little time to model this. Uh, you know, church we often think is the building. You know, I'm going to church, I was at church. But, but 
don't be fooled. This is church. The body of Christ is church. You spending time with your family and members of, of God's people, that's church. So we may look a little bit different today doing church, but this is what it is, us getting together, modeling unity. And we want to talk about basically these things that the third option is about. And ultimately, it comes down to this. It comes down to honor, as Pastor Miles was saying, as we are all created equally by the Lord, and we're here to learn to honor each other, and by doing that, we honor the Lord as well. And Pastor Jason, um, actually, well, let's, let, let's everybody introduce themselves. I already took the time. My name is Esli Medrano. I am the Microsite Campus Pastor. Can I give a shout out to MCRP Microsite La Jolla and Coronado? Hi, everybody. Hey family, uh, my name is Jason, I'm the campus pastor at Rock Church San Marcos, love you guys. Hey family, how you doing? My name is Greg Hendricks, I'm the campus pastor at the Rock Church East County. East County, I know you're going crazy right now, come on somebody. And Pastor Jason is going to frame basically biblically, uh, what's the framework of what we're doing today and encourage us to model this in our own lives as well. So Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24 and 25, probably familiar to many of us. It says, let us consider how to stir one another up towards love and good works, not neglecting to meet as a habit of some, but all the more as the day draws near. And that, that word stir, and, and some of your translations may say prod or poke, but it, 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 it invites this idea of instigation, of, of really challenging one another. And I think that so speaks to what we're trying to do with these conversations, is that none of us should be content with where we are, right? That we need to be better, we need to get more like Jesus. And so this idea that we can't just neglect to not, to not get together and have these conversations is too important. We as the church, we have to lead this conversation. So hopefully, as we demonstrate this, you, you'll get an opportunity to uh, take this into practice in your own life. Amen, amen. So what we're going to be doing, we're going to be going through a series of questions, and Pastor Ricky later on in closing is going to uh, give you guys a prompt on how you guys can get these questions as well. But basically, we're going through a series of questions, talking about it to each other, talking about it to you, so we can learn more about each other and learn more about how we can honor the Lord and, and be unified as one. And our first question, let's start it over there. Pastor Greg, why don't you take that one and we'll move it on down. Yeah, uh, well, I'm addressing question number seven. Um, and, and it talks about, well, for give a little bit of background with me, I was born and raised here in San Diego, but you probably wouldn't notice about me. I'm half black and half Mexican. My mother's Mexican. I was raised in a Mexican home. Uh, I was raised on beans and rice and Jesus Christ, as you Amen. like to put Amen. it. Amen. And, Amen. And, and preach so, it. Preach it, Greg. Come preach on. Come it. on, somebody. And, and so that was, that was my upbringing in my home, but a majority of my friends were black. I played pro basketball for eight years of my life and played all through college and um, so a majority of my friends were African-American. However, um, I feel like what the Lord has taken us into a season on what that looks like. And the question that I'm addressing is essentially question number seven, and is like, how do you engage uh, other people? Well, I love John chapter four, and Jesus very much uh, uh, symbolized this. And in John chapter four is the woman at the well. And when he encountered the woman at the well, you're essentially dealing with um, sexism because men weren't supposed to talk to women. You're dealing with classism. Uh, she was a very poor woman. You're dealing with racism because Jews didn't talk to Samaritans at the time. So it, that whole chapter embodies a lot of what our country is going through today. And how he approached her and how he loved her is he took time to speak to her. And I would encourage you, um, if you want to really engage someone and know someone, take time to speak to them. Hear their heart. Talk to them. Um, I love how one of our pastors put it. It went from categories to conversation to life. 
From categories, conversation to life, he spoke life into her, and she essentially went to become a, an evangelist and set the board ablaze for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen, amen, amen. Why don't you introduce yourself? Pastor Jason, tell a little bit more about who you are. Uh, sure, yeah. Um, just want to think one of the questions is what do we identify as? Um, this may come as a surprise to many of you, but I'm white. I don't know. Just, I'm actually extra white. I just found this out. Um, no, no, really. I did the Ancestry.com, right, where it tells you your, your geography and your ancestry, where they came from, and it's like 95% European white. How, how, Pastor Jason, how much did you pay for that test? It's like, a, like 80 bucks. I could have told you that for 20. <laughs> Any other super white people afterwards, 20 bucks, I'll just, I'll tell you you're white, and then uh, text 52525 to Pastor Marcus. He's right there in the hallway. <laughs> I'm just saying, man, I'm just saying. Tell me, weren't you like 1% like... Well, okay, so it, I, don't know, I don't know how the data changes, but I guess as more people do these things, then they can sort of adjust it. But when I first got the results, it said I was less than 1% Polynesian, which I was really excited about. <laughs> just, I was. Pacific Islander Fest yesterday, I'm just saying, it was... But it changed. I got the recent updates, and I'm no longer my one, less than 1% Polynesian. Right, I'm just white. That's it. Some of my best friends are white, Jason. Don't worry about it, man. Don't worry about it. Well, I'm Mexican, full-on Mexican. Um, I grew up in a household that spoke English and Spanish. I grew up, I was born in, in, in grew up in Mexico. Um, what else? I can't do the mariachi scream. It's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. Then you're not full-on Mexican. <laughs> you might have 1% Polynesian <laughs> maybe, in you. Maybe, maybe. <laughs> you know, this question for me, guys, was very interesting. The question is, you know, who are we? How, how do I identify where we're from? And it's always been tricky for me because, first of all, I was born in Panama. But I was born on a military base in Panama. So I've always been American, yet Latino. But my dad is Mexican. Well, he's still, Mex yeah, he's still Mexican. I always say he was. <laughs> he's still Mexican. My mom's Panamanian. But I was born in Panama. But my mom's Panamanian side, her dad was black. And she's Panamanian, so I'm like half Mexican, quarter Puerto Rican with a splash of black for extra flavor on the weekends, <laughs> quarter Panamanian, and yet American. So I'm very confused, basically, is, is, is what it is. You know, but it's been great because I was born in Panama, raised in that culture, then moved to Fort Bragg, North Carolina. Any North Cackalacky people in here? Anybody? Any Waffle House fans in here, guys? Any Waffle House fans? Amen. Oh, yes, 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 yes. Let's talk afterwards. Right? And so uh, growing up basically in North Carolina, then going to high school up in Santa Barbara, I always feel comfortable in any environment, and it's been great. And I know a lot of people, uh, as I've traveled and gotten older, don't have that. They've kind of been in one place and don't have those opportunities. I remember going with a, with a friend of mine, it's a funny story, to, to Montana about 20 years ago. And we were in Montana in a little town and we went out to eat and I was, we were really hungry like at midnight, like a Montana Denny's or something. And the waitress was looking at me and she looked at my three friends and she looked at me and she looked at me and she goes, what are you? She wasn't rude. She just, I told her I was hungry because it was like 12 o'clock at night. Brother hasn't eaten all day, you know. And then she looked at me and I go, oh, I'm, I'm Panamanian. I'm from Panama. And she looked at me and she goes, you from Puerto Rico? I said, no, ma'am, I'm from Panama. And she looked at me and she goes, Cuba. 
I said, no, Panama, it's an isthmus, it's a country, it connects North America with South America, there's a whole canal through it. I'm from Panama. And she goes, oh, Mexico. I said, yes, ma'am, I'm Mexican. I'm Mexican. <laughs> Why don't you take us into our next question, Leslie? My question is, when did I realize I was Mexican? So growing up in Mexico, you don't get that. In Mexico, you get either you're rich or poor. So in Mexico, you don't get the whole your skin color, you're treated different or anything. But I, I realized I was Mexican when I crossed the border and I started doing ministry in the American side. And I realized that I, well, I didn't think I didn't look much Mexican because I'm kind of not Mexican looking. But, um, but uh, one time the Lord gave me an, like, an assignment and he gave me even the how to do it. He gave me everything for me to do it. But I was 20-something years old. I knew nothing about ministry, so I thought, I'm going to go to my pastors and ask for help. So they heard me. <laughs> okay, yes, good job. That's awesome. Great, 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 great thing to do. Yes, yes, awesome. But nobody would listen to me, so I started asking more and more for guidance until they told me, why don't you go to the coalition of the pastors um, and you, you get to, to talk to all of them at once. And I'm like, great. So I asked for permission. They gave me four minutes. And I talked to them about this, this assignment that the Lord had put in my heart. And, and it was a great outreach ministry and outreach opportunity. And they all kept looking at their phones, at the Bible, look, taking notes. Nobody paid attention to me. So I thought, maybe my English is not that great. Or maybe something's wrong with my face. I don't know. And then at the end, this, one of the guys in this meeting pulled me aside and, and, and they go, hey, you do realize that this is not going to happen, right? This, this assignment that you have from the Lord is not going to happen here. And I'm like, why not? They go, well, you're a woman and you're Mexican. And we are all white. And I mean, the, 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 where, I'm, where I'm from is this little town where there's a bunch of white people. And they're all farmers with money. And here comes Esli the Mexican telling them to do something big for the Lord. And they're like, no, that's not going to happen. Um, and that was then when I realized, oh, I'm Mexican. Oh, oh, I didn't think anything of it until then. Well, their loss is our gain. We're happy to have <laughs> you here overseeing our microsites, Pastor. And you're doing a great job. Thank you. Thank you. Pastor Jason, why don't you walk us through your question? Yeah, this question is, you know, as we engage in these race conversations, what have I learned about other ethnicities? And I'll take it back to two years ago. Um, in El Cajon here in San Diego County, there was a shooting, a police shooting, a young black man, uh, Alfred Olongo. Uh, it's actually been almost two years to the day that that happened. And as a result of that, our, our church was involved. Um, Pastor Greg, Pastor Miles was at a press conference ministering to the police chief and, and trying to see how we can lead this conversation. And, and right after that, we had a pastor's meeting here. And in that pastor's meeting, we were sharing our experiences and how this was impacting us. And one of the pastors, uh, who was black, said, as a result of this, I made sure that I had a conversation with my son, who's college age, of what to do and what not to do when pulled over by the police. As he said this, in, in my heart, and my thought, and I said out loud, I would have never thought there would ever be a circumstance where I would need to have that conversation with my daughter, who was about a year at the time. And I realized in that moment that I have such limited understanding of other people's experiences and, and, and when it comes to this topic. And I also realized that I lived a life of privilege, right? That because of the color of my skin, I was given certain advantages that others were not. And that isn't necessarily in of itself a bad thing, but it opened my eyes that I could no longer be naive to this conversation. Yeah. 
to think that everything's okay and things aren't that bad just because my experience was, was telling me that. And so it's literally changed the way that I've engaged this conversation to realize that I need to go out of my way. If I'm going to honor and love others, I need to get into their shoes. I need to hear their perspectives to know how can I best love and honor them yeah. in this conversation. Amen, amen, amen. You know, one of the things I love about this series, it's been, you know, not about black and white. It's been about honor, you know. And everybody out there has experienced being in some difficult circumstance, being prejudged, feeling awkward, feeling like you're not understood, regardless of color or race or gender. Can I hear amen? amen? Right? So this is not about one people that are the culprit or one people that are the good guys or the bad guys. It's challenged all of us, right, to dig in and go, how can I honor God's people better, regardless of race, color, creed, ethnicity, language, how can I appreciate them? Because by appreciating them and honoring them, ultimately what I'm learning is I'm honoring the Lord because it's God who's been the one creating everybody. So that's one of the things that God has been challenging me, me on. What have you learned? What do you have to share with us, Pastor Greg? What stuck out uh, and what God's been speaking to you during this time? I would say the greatest thing that he has been challenging me and I would encourage and challenge you, just uh, engaging. Everybody say engagement. Engagement. I'll say it again. Say engagement. Engagement. Just engage the person that's in front of you. Um, the Bible says in Revelations 12 uh, that the, the devil is the accuser of the brethren. Well, that word accuser in the Greek is categorize, is where we get the word category. So when you category somebody or you put them in a category, oh, hey, it's, this person is over here, and hey, this is just another smart Asian, or hey, this is another black woman this or that or the other. When you categorize somebody, you're essentially doing what the devil is being accused of. But like Jesus did in John chapter 4, when he engaged the woman at the well, um, he, he, he spoke to her. He spoke and saw her for who she was. Mm. I think in this season that the Lord has just really been challenging me just to engage the person, be intentional about engaging these people. Um, last thing I'll say is when I used to play pro basketball, um, part of my contract when I played overseas is I had to go and engage the community. So I had to do like at least two hours a week where I engaged the community and we would do basketball camps. And, and then the greatest thing about that is not only did I get to engage the children, but it gave me an opportunity to talk to the parents as well. And it really transformed my entire experience of being in a foreign country, whether I was in China or Spain, Ukraine, all over the world. But immediately you get an expedited track to the person's heart. So if anything, I would encourage you is just just to engage that person. Everybody say engagement. engagement. That's the one I learned. I, I love that. Very simple. Meet people, engage, chat with them. And we encourage you guys, as we're doing this, take some time to do it with somebody at work. Do it uh, with somebody that you meet. Just spend some time engaging, chat with them. Look, if you guys want to get to know me better, just take me to Ruth's Chris. I'm just telling you, <laughs> I'll bring my whole family. You can meet us all, right? And uh, just meet me afterwards. We can talk about that. So... Jason, you can get to know me better. You don't know me that well, man. I know you well enough. Okay, okay. <laughs> what has God been teaching you, Jason? Don't let comfort get in the way of holiness. Uh, the Bible very clearly says that the way you wish others would treat you to treat them, Matthew seven twelve, the golden rule. But yet our natural disposition is to not go towards discomfort. It's to go towards peace and and success, these are things that we're striving after naturally. But yet God's called us to something greater to, than that. 
And, and we read that golden rule, but we often don't read what comes right after it. And it says that choose the narrow gate, the narrow path. Many people are going to choose the wide path, the wide gate, but that leads to destruction. Jesus is telling us that if you want to have true life, you've got to go down the path that very few are willing to go. And so if you want to receive love, then you have to be willing to love others. If you want to receive honor, you have to be willing to honor others. And that will require you to get out of your comfort zone. And so I, wherever you're at in this conversation, if the Lord brings some conviction to your heart and says, you know, this is an area that I've got some biases or some blind spots, don't just say, well, that's okay. I'm not that bad, right? Engage that. Don't allow yourself just to be comfortable because that'll keep you from where you're trying to get to ultimately. Amen. 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 Pastor Esley. Um, if I can tell myself something, the old Esley, the 20-something-year-old Esley would be two things. Um, first, that if you're struggling, like I was struggling because I was put aside because of who I was, you know, there's a struggling, there's a reason why you're struggling, Esley. There's a reason, there's something, you're, you're being prepared for something big. Look at me now. I am one of the campus pastors at The Rock. I'm the only woman and the only single, I had to say. Yeah. She said, hear that? The only single. The only single. Ready to mingle. Don't be, don't be fooled by the big ring. Um, I am single. Just I'm a woman. I, right I need now. to. I have to. Okay. And look at me where I'm at. The Lord opened doors and prepared me for something big that it is the Rock Church. And the other thing is that I want to encourage you that if you were like me, where you pushed aside because of what, the way you look or because of who you are, I just encourage people. I want to encourage you to love people, to just show them their love, the love of Christ. Show them that third option we've been talking about. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Pastor Wesley. For me, guys, the word that's been jumping out at me through this time is the word identity. Uh, through the questions we're asking, you know, that's always been tricky for me. Like, who am I? You know, am I Latino? Am I American? Am I a country boy? Am I, am I hungry? Right? Am I from, am I, you know, and, and so it's always been tricky with me. And as I've been thinking and reflecting, you know, I remember the times um, when I was a teacher and I would see all these kids in these different groups. And it was the same groups when we were in high school. It was the jocks. It was the cheerleaders. It was the band crew. It was the gifted crew. It was the alternative. It was the same thing. And it was so important for all these children, all these high school kids to have their identity in these groups. And, I, and, and God has been sharing with me, look, this is who you are, Marcus. This is who you are. You are a child of God. That's it. That's my identity, you know. And my identity is not in that I'm super handsome and super smart. I mean, that might be, you know, I mean, that's true, right? We can't deny any of that, guys. But take away my handsomeness and I'm still a child of God, right? And it's been so freeing knowing, you know what, it doesn't, it doesn't really matter you know, and that's what I'm te teaching my kids. Look, sports, activities, friendships, relationships, those are all activities. There are not identities. And you know what? We should all identify here with being children of God. Amen. Amen. I want to I close us with this, this passage here, and I love it. Every time I come to the rock, uh, I'm super blessed because this passage just burns in my heart when I look out. And I'm sure you guys at all your campuses think the same thing because we're really blessed. We have an anomaly here, guys. The unity and the diversity that we have here is a little slice of heaven. Here's a verse in Revelation chapter 7, verse 9. And it's when John got a special revelation of what heaven was going to be like. 
So I want you guys just to listen and be ministered as I, as I share this. Revelation 7, 9 says this. After this, I looked. And there before me was a great multitude that no one could count. From every nation, tribe, people, and language. Standing before the throne, before the Lamb. And here we are, you guys, people from every tribe, language, culture, color, here united, serving the one true and only God. And that should be our identity. And as we close up, you know what, I want to make sure that before we leave, we all have an opportunity to, you know what, wrestle with some of these things going in our heart. You know, maybe as you're hearing this and you're giggling, there's some pain that's being rustled up. Right? Maybe there's some forgiveness that, that, that you need. Maybe there's some forgiveness that you need to give to somebody. Maybe there's some deep-rooted pain with your identity. And maybe you guys here, not sure if you identify as being children of God. So before we leave, we're going to just do something very simple. And we're going to say a prayer and uh, ask you just to slip up your hand if you want to respond to it. We're not going to come forward. We're just going to make a chance for people to be, get some healing. And more importantly, make sure before you leave, you get a chance to make sure you identify first and foremost as a child of God. So that one day, we're one of these people here in this great multitude standing before the Lord. Why don't you bow your, high, bow your heads and close your eyes. Lord, I thank you so much for being such a creative God, Lord. I thank you for this style of church, Lord, just your people getting together, God. And right now I want to pray, Lord, and ask that you would just speak to people's hearts right now. To those that have some, some hurts growing up, Lord, that really need to take it to you, God. Who have been misjudged, prejudged, isolated, Lord. Also pray for those, Lord, that, of us that have been guilty of that, God. There's nobody perfect here. For those that have been guilty of prejudging and isolating, Lord, and treating people improperly, Lord. And ultimately, Lord, for those that have really don't know that they're your child and their identity has been elsewhere. Their identity has been in their relationship. Their identity has been in their color, in their culture, in their job, in their sport, Lord. I pray, Lord, that they would get a chance to identify as your child, Lord. So if that's you here today, and you want to make sure that there is healing and that you have your proper identity in God, I just ask with your heads bowed and your eyes closed, just repeat this prayer in the privacy of your heart. Say, dear God, forgive me, God. Forgive others, God, for the pain they have caused me. Forgive me for the pain I've caused others, God. And Lord, Ultimately, I want to be your child. I want to identify as your child. I invite you to my heart, God. I give you my life. I give you me. Forgive me and make me new. With your heads bowed and your eyes closed, if you pray that prayer, just slip up your hand. We want to acknowledge you and pray for you. Keep them up. Amen. Keep them up. Keep them up all throughout the room. Keep them up. Keep them up. Keep them up. Keep them up. Amen. We see you. Keep them up. Keep them up. Keep them up. Amen. You can slip them down right now, Lord. You see those hands, Lord, but more importantly, you see the hearts, God. And I pray, Lord, from this day forward, there'll be healing. There'll be freedom, God. And there'll be a new identity as being your child, first and foremost. We thank you, Lord, and we pray these things to Jesus in your name. And the church says, amen.